0: Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G 2 Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris.
1: Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host here for the next hour on the Talent Talk Radio Show. I have a great lineup of guests today, and we have a ton of great people lined up uh, throughout the rest of the year, and hope that you plan uh, to tune in as well on those other dates. The Talent Talk Radio Show features a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. So in the business world, talent really has a couple different meanings, and the first one is how it relates to success and how really talented people achieve success, and I was trying to learn some of those secrets and steal them for our own. But the second is how talent relates to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies. So this show really looks to explore those two areas, along with how talented individuals impact a company's culture, which is one of the things I'm always fascinated about. So typically when we have guests on the show, they... They might have the title of CEO or HR executive, or it might be an entrepreneur, a business leader, or an author, a coach, but they tend to come from just a wide range of industries. You know, typically what happens is I go to a networking event or a conference, and I have the privilege of meeting one of these inspiring leaders, and I created this forum to allow you to listen in our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will help you cultivate talent, develop leaders, manage culture, and impact your own career in a positive way. Most important, there. I want to thank those of you tuning in live here every Tuesday. If you have a question for one of our guests today, you can submit it via Twitter. Just go uh, and type in at peopleg2. Put in the ha- type in your question, then put the hashtag uh, talent talk. That's the pound sign and then talent talk all one word. If Twitter is not uh, your your second language yet so my producer mike can try to feed me in the best questions today and we'll work them into the show as time allows we also love to get uh, guest suggestions and maybe just other questions that you might want to have us consider asking don't forget you can tune into the podcast on itunes or android uh, and subscribe uh, to have this show sent to you each week uh, the show now has over 170,000 people who subscribe to that feed and are listening to the show as of last week. So we thank all of you that are uh, taking the time to listen, uh, wherever that may be, uh, and however you may decide to digest your uh, podcast. So thank you. So let's go ahead and get um, got all the business out of the way here and explanations done. So let's move on to today's show. My guests today are uh, Dominic Jones, a VP of HR at uh, Hellingen Software, and Brendan Keegan, the managing partner of velocity performance. Uh, Brendan will join me the second half of the show after our commercial break, but uh, for now let's go ahead and get to Dominique. And welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much. It's uh, it's fun to be here.
1: Well, it's fun to have you. So this is this is why I do it. I don't have to work from 1 to 2 o'clock every day every Tuesday I get to not work. So, it's, you know, is kind of my uh, excuse to go have fun a little bit, I guess. But um, hopefully you'll have fun here in this little bit of time and got a little bit of an, es- an escape for yourself. But why don't you tell the audience about yourself, kind of your little bit your background and, and what your company does.
2: Absolutely. Happy to. So uh, my name is Dominique uh, Jones, and I'm uh, VP of Human Resources at Halogen Software. I've been here for about five years, coming up to my fifth year anniversary, um, and prior to Halogen, I've worked in various global organizations, either in HR or in uh, talent management consulting. Uh, and I've been fortunate enough to work uh, not only in North America, but also in Europe. And the majority of the companies that I've worked for have had global operations. So Halogen, we are um, a, a SaaS organization with cloud-based solutions in um, in talent management. And so what our software helps our customers do is integrate all of their talent management functions and uh, and really align their workforce um, and their employees to, to, to that. So we're headquartered in Ottawa in Canada. We have offices now uh, across the globe. So we're growing as an organization as well. And there's one pretty unique thing about my my role here at Halogen and that is that I am also a customer. So I'm responsible for talent management for Halogen itself, but we also use our own product and our own services. And so that provides me with a unique aspect to a role in HR that I've never had before where I can actually influence uh, the product and influence how we are going to be able to take our product to market. So that's one of the pretty Uh, cool aspects of this job that's a bit different for me than any of the other jobs that I've had.
1: Well, that's a really interesting component because I know when we've gone and, and hired people, we've had to do background checks on our own people. I've gone through the process as a client as well, and there's been times where yeah. I have said, um, "Yeah, we need to change this. <laughs> this, I didn't like yep. the way this worked. It's been too long since I've been in here and seen this." So,
2: absolutely, yeah,
1: it's a it's a it's a good feature to have. But I, I know Dominique, you you've talked about having kind of these different roles, um, kind of worked all many different places, and uh, mm-hmm. you know throughout your career. So. What would you label as your biggest success in that kind of overall HR HR field?
2: Um, you know, I've been I consider myself to have been very fortunate um, to have secured some really interesting roles in, in the talent management field um, in general. But as I as I think about all of those, you know, I, I don't actually pick out roles as being particular successes. I, I, I pick up I would pick out some more kind of key things and key themes that I attribute to that ongoing success, and, and, and I'll maybe share a couple of those with you. Um, so the first one is, is about learning the business. So I've worked in about, I'd say, six, maybe seven different industries now, um, and the key to success each time for me has been taking the time to learn about the business, and that um, allowed me to maximize the value that I can bring to the organization, so HR doesn't really change at its, at its core in terms of the fundamentals and the principles, but it's really about how you apply all of those tools and techniques um, with the relevant nuances for that organization, um, and you can only really accomplish that by understanding and learning the business. So if I think back to all of the jobs that I've had, I mean, I've stacked shelves with overnight crews in retail jobs, I've been on construction sites in a manufacturing organization, and I've taken customer calls in a call center, all because I wanted to learn the business, and I really wanted to understand how how what an employee does every day contributes to the overall success of an organization. And I, I don't personally think that I can achieve the same level of success if I don't take that time to invest in learning in the business.
1: Well, it sounds like you might have been one um, of the original. That be
2: the first one. You,
1: you might have been one of the original undercover bosses. I mean, if you've seen that TV show, but you know, it's uh, to actually have to go in and <laughs> do the never real really work
2: undercover,
1: right? Well, you weren't undercover, but to go in and do the real work and to see what people are really having to do to make something yeah. happen, and and how that process really flows, is incredibly important. I mean, that's why it's important for companies to develop their leaders and and bring people along in the process as much as they can because then they have a real understanding of, of what it takes as opposed to bringing somebody in, albeit talented, from the outside that maybe doesn't always understand um, that process. And it sounds like you were able to go in and find a, another way to make sure you did understand. That's, that's really fascinating, but I, it sounds like you had another, another point there. I didn't want to uh, completely cut you off
2: no no that's fine um so the the other thing um and i'm sure many of the hr practitioners out there listening to this will appreciate what i'm going to say here but but that's been um that's really about navigating the fine line between uh the company standpoint and that of the employee i mean that seems to be that the, the kind of Um, HR dilemma um, from uh, certainly the beginning of my career, Um, and how do you accomplish managing that fine line and navigating that fine line without compromising the needs of either side? You know, so traditionally, in my view, traditional HR was focused purely or primarily on the well-being of the employee, and things have changed now. And, but to an extent, what is, I find very interesting is I still see expectations of various workforces in this regard, uh, despite it being a bit of a dying perspective. And it's, it is tough to manage both sides. And I found that one of the keys um, to being able to do that effectively is openness and communication in order to achieve the balance. So, uh, and the other thing is common sense.
1: You know, some of it from the
2: employee side is about not doing everything for them. Um, but teaching and coaching employees to take personal responsibility for their employment experience uh, instead of allowing them to expect things from their employer. It really is a two-way relationship. And I quite often, you know, I, I'm, I'm quite provocative in my, in my style, um, and I quite often will ask people, what have you done about it um, if somebody complains or is looking for a solution? And it's a great simple way to get them to think about their ownership in the matter. But it is one of those things that I... I'm constantly challenged by, um, and and my team are constantly challenged by. And in fact, you know, just just yesterday we had a conversation about exactly that. How do you, how do you find that balance between working for the good of the company and the good of the employee?
1: Well, I really like what you said about you know kind of that pushback on asking them what they have done. Um, it's always been a standing policy at my company to, you know. Don't come in and, and complain. And, the, you know, my very first question will be, have you had a conversation with that person about this Absolutely. issue? And if the answer is no, then yeah. why are you in my office?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know. Yeah.
2: And, and I'm, I'm exactly the same. I'm happy to help you if you feel that you have exhausted uh, your options and that you have tried. I'm happy to, happy to get involved. But, right. But to be seen as the the problem solver all the time really doesn't help anyone in the long term.
1: Yeah, it's just complaining at that point as opposed to trying to get the problem solved if if they haven't even had the guts to talk to that person. You may have a few interesting, uh, you know, severe introverts that, you know, you might uh, try to help a little bit more. But in most cases, people can at least have a conversation with someone and remarkably get pretty far with them, uh, farther than they maybe had expected. So. I know I wanted to make sure we talked a little bit about this kind of this global human resources. It sounds like your company now has sort of gone global, and you've had experience with that in the past. So what are some of those unique challenges associated with that type of a company? Uh, I would say probably most people listening are working for companies that – They might be in a particular state, they might be in a particular country only. So a global organization is something that's a bit unique and maybe has its own challenges, both in, Mm -hmm. you know, logistical issues, um, but also in cultural issues. Um, Both, you know, there's country cultures and then you have, you know, trying to maintain your own company culture amongst, you know, across different oceans. So what are some of the biggest things that you see as those, you know, global company challenges?
2: Obviously, I mean, you pointed this out. There, there are the very, um, are the very obvious challenges. So, time zones are, are a huge, um, a huge challenge. And how do you work remotely? And how do you set your your leaders up and your employees up um, sufficiently to be able to be effective, um, kind of remotely and online and different ways of working? But I would say that culture is one of the toughest things to maintain as a global company because you're you're contending with multiple country cultures practices and customs, and you're trying to do that within the overall company culture that you're trying to uphold, um, and, and it is very difficult to do that. And one of the keys that I think here is so important is to not overcomplicate it um, and perhaps get to a few key cultural principles or cultural philosophies that anchor your overall organizational culture, but at the same time are generic enough so that you can allow for those um, different country cultural aspects to mold themselves um, into that and around that. Because um, I think you can really overcomplicate it, and, and, and that kind of fails. Mm-hmm. So some basic premises around, you know, one or two things. This is really at the core what our culture is all about, and those things hold true no matter where you are across the globe. You might be doing it differently in Australia a little bit uh, to the to the U.K., to Canada, to the United States. But at its core, we're staying true to that particular aspect of our culture. Um, and then it makes it much easier for, um, for your workforce to align around those things because it's not complicated, because it is very simple and it's very straightforward.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like the, you know, in that sense, the global organization has to keep it, like you said, simple, but just really identify the largest things, the rocks here, right? Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. then those subcultures have to go in and fill in the sand and the pebbles and the the other stuff around it that's unique to them. As long as those big rocks are being maintained and by the overall, uh, by by, by, corporate headquarters, let's say, uh, and the leadership there.
2: And, and I think the, the other piece associated to the big rocks is about being very uh, clear, being very explicit about what those rocks are and, and what does it look like. What does that rock look like? Is it, is it gray? Is it black? Is it white? So that, you're not, so that you're preserving that which is so important to you. Um, and at the, on, on the contrary to that is also explaining in very clear terms what I would call deal breakers. Um, So, you know, if there's a cultural anchor that's very behavioral, okay, here are all the positive things that that means for us as an organization, and here's how you break that deal. Um, And so kind of calling it out and being a little bit more intentional and a little bit more proactive about defining what that means is really important as well.
1: Yeah. Well, if we look at this a little more granular, let's just Pick a topic like recruiting. How does that differ then when you're trying to deliver that message? Let's say if you're recruiting in Europe versus recruiting uh, in the mm-hmm. states versus Canada. I mean, wh- how do those kind of diff- practices uh, differ?
2: So there are um, there are obviously legislative differences um, in every country and, um, and and different practice differences. Um, at its core, though, recruiting for a global organization. Really, there are some core similarities um, at the same time that there are some differences. So at its heart, recruiting is really about finding the best talent you can to fill your positions. Um, And and that's pretty much the same in any country that you're in. But what we found is that... how you engage with talent, how you engage with uh, candidates, prospective candidates for the organization may be different in, from one country to the next. So, um, you know, we have found that in, in, in some countries you can, you can recruit very effectively online through social media. Candidates will engage with you that way, and it's just acceptable to do it. Whereas in other countries, we've found that you actually have to invest more in face-to-face uh, interaction with the candidate and, and more networking. And it's very much more word of mouth than it is through kind of, um, you know, less warm um, less warm contact through through online rec- recruiting. And we found that really interesting, and that's very cultural. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we found that out the hard way, where we have... Um, you know perhaps made some assumptions that well it works here why would it not work uh, somewhere else Um, and, and then a couple of months down the road you're you're not finding the talent that you want and you have to really start to then kind of get under the skin of that and try and understand why that is.
1: Well, it's all very fascinating, and I imagine that part of uh, your success um, in working with these different companies and with your current company now, and Software, has probably a little bit to do with your leadership style. Can you maybe describe that a little bit for us?
2: Uh, absolutely, um, and hopefully my team would back me up in, uh, in what I say now. Well, they can always tweet
1: um, their disagreements. Anytime they want to send me a note, and we'll, we'll blast it out to everybody. <laughs>
2: uh, basically, I manage my team the way that I prefer to be managed myself. Um, and that's with a degree of autonomy. Um, so I personally find it very difficult and pretty soul-destroying uh, to be micromanaged. And I've, only, I've been fortunate. It's only happened to me once in my career. Um, and I, I like to think that was more about that boss's insecurities than it was about my own performance. But it made me feel very deflated, and it mm-hmm. made me feel very disengaged. And I eventually left the company because of that. Um, And at Halogen, I actually have exactly the opposite experience. You know, I have full autonomy. I might only meet with my boss for less than an hour a week, but we trust that we keep each other informed um, as required. And I try to operate the same way with my team. They understand the requirements of their jobs, uh, and I'm here to support them. I'm here to remove barriers. But otherwise, my job is to stay out of their way. You know, I hire talented individuals. I have a very competent team, and I believe they should be able to do their job better than I can,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and I need to let them do that. It is difficult, though, sometimes, especially as our organization grow uh, grows, not to let go of things, and that's a personal thing that I'm working on. Um, things that were once mine, I, I do find it hard to give them away. Right, um, but I, you know, I I do that, but I do it with a little bit of a caveat that it's I don't promise not to poke a little bit uh, every now <laughs> and then. <laughs> um, but I'm very direct, um, I'm very open, and I'm I'm very transparent. And and I think that for me, um, one of the soapboxes that I could get very passionate about is great leadership. Um, and and one of the real, uh, really important anchors of that for me is authenticity and transparency. Um, and if I think about it, my own leadership style, I'm, I am actually an introvert. Um, and so some of those things are a little bit tougher for me to put myself out there and, and get myself known as who I am, not just as the boss. Um, I try and make connections with my team and let them see more of the real me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But I am very direct, so they usually know what I'm going to say or how I'm feeling about something, and I think that adds to the transparency and the and the authenticity um, that I that I bring to to my style.
1: Well, you said so many things here today that I just have resonated with me that <laughs> feel you know we're very much aligned in. So that that's uh, that's always good to hear. I mean, we you for those of us that appreciate autonomy and that kind of a management style, it only takes one experience. With a boss who's not that way, to suddenly realize how important that is to you, and how, like you said, it's kind of soul crushing that is, uh, and you have to quickly find some other situation. For me, I lasted all of maybe six months in that environment, and I Mm -hmm. ran away screaming. Um, You know, it just and sometimes
2: you don't realize. Um, the impact that it has on you personally because you want to be resilient and you want mm-hmm. to keep working at something. And it takes leaving to actually realize quite the effect that it's had on you.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah when you leave that, that position and you, you suddenly have this moment where you realize how bad it was, how it's physically been affecting you, emotionally affecting you, you know, your friendships, your family, everything, it just... Uh, because that, I it's a very good way to put it. You want to be resilient. You want to overcome. You want to be able to, 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 to do your best no matter what. And sometimes mm-hmm. the best thing to do is to not do your best, but to leave
2: <laughs> yeah. and
1: find a better position somewhere else. Cause,
2: uh, and you have to come to terms with the fact that, that in that kind of situation, leaving is not failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of the things that, that I struggled with, quite honestly, around, but I, you know, why could I not make this succeed? And eventually, you know, and certainly in my situation, I finally realized that this wasn't about changing me to adapt. This was about could I really change the person that was making me feel this way? And I didn't think that I could. Right, right. Um, and, and, and that's what really made, made me make that decision.
1: Well, I wanted to make sure we ask you uh, one of our favorite questions, uh, and that is, um, what are you reading right now?
2: What am I reading right now? Well, I just, uh, uh, I just started a book, so I'm not very far into it, but um, it's actually called Uncommon Service. It's by Francis Frey and Anne Morris, and I, I'm just, just getting into it, um, but it really it's about customer service. And about how in order to truly succeed at customer service, you need to build a company-wide ecosystem centered around the customer where every single employee is aligned and behaves in service of delivering excellence to the customer every single day. And this is one of the things um, that at Halogen we're particularly passionate about um, and we're well known for uh, excellence in customer service. Um, and uh, so I've just started it, but um, it was recommended to me by a colleague, um, and I, I'm quite excited to to understand that because I think it has some great cultural implications that I can think about.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, it, anytime we can kind of poke at that idea a little bit, it really can help us, uh, you know, maybe improve, maybe expand our knowledge in that area, maybe make our company a little bit better. Um, you know, and that, that's always somewhere I'm always kind of floating around, uh is you know there's some general knowledge that that's really good but w- what's the knowledge that we don't have yet where can we go with some of that right yeah, yeah. so uh, i know you uh won a leadership 500 uh, excellence for halogen's leadership development program was something that was recently awarded to your company can you share a little bit about that program and what you know kind of caught the attention uh, do you think for hr.com to do that
2: Sure, um, it, we're thrilled to have uh, to have won the award. Um, so this is a, a it's a company-wide leader development program that uh, we won for. It's multi-level program. Uh, it's rooted in action learning, and so what it does is it kind of mixes classroom and more formal learning with peer learning. Uh, and focus on business problems. So we place all of our leaders in learning pods, and those learning pods are designed to encourage cross-functional, cross-functional learning, while at the same time creating a safe uh, learning environment for our leaders to discuss their development, to discuss its application, um, and the challenges that they face as leaders. And one of the components of this program is also um, an emerging leader program. So we're a very um, fast-growing organization, and one of our challenges is where do we um, build our leadership strengths from. And we recognize that we can't just do that externally and that we have to also build uh, leaders from within. So we're three years in now to uh, we're just starting our third co- cohort in the Emerging Leader Program with, with huge success. Um, so far, 80% of our participants have assumed leadership roles uh, within about 12 months of coming out of the program, so we're thrilled with that. With respect to what caught the attention of HR.com, um, I can't specifically say, but the program <laughs> is, is innovative for um, our size of organization. It's quite early on in the evolution of an organization to, to be doing this kind of thing. Um, and, and the other thing that we're particularly proud of is this is an award that our employees are surveyed for. So this is not about us just writing a great submission for an award. They actually, HR.com, went out and they, they solicited some feedback from our leaders um, who supported uh, the fact that this program has been, in some cases, life-changing for them and has really set them up uh, for success in the future.
1: Yeah, I think HR.com has done a good job with... Mm-hmm. Kind of how they're vetting some of that. I mean, so in your particular case, if they went out and talked to your employees and kind of yeah. got great information, I know we were honored to have gotten a word from them. They actually had gone in and solicited our clients like through LinkedIn and stuff. So they had, yep. you know, they yep. kind of, they, they bypassed us, right? I mean, it wasn't like we could f- just hand them off some of our best, you know, clients who would say nice things about us. They went off and yep. kind of found it on their own, which was really I thought an interesting way to do it so exactly kind of yields a lot of you know credence and um good kind of validation that uh you know you're doing good things which i think Mm -hmm. everyone really liked Mm -hmm. i know in april of last year you were also listed on the hrm online as one of the who's who in hr for 2015 so what do you credit there for the that success
2: uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I think it, I think it's a number You're too of modest. Probably already talked about. Um, you, you know, one of the things I think is is, is profile, and some of that is, is is versatility. So, learning those businesses I've been in, the fact that I, you know, I'm, I'm in my seventh uh, different industry now, I think that's really really helped, and it's certainly helped from a personal growth and development point of view to be able to to show that it doesn't really matter you know, what kind of organization it is Mm -hmm. that some of those key principles, um, you know, still apply. You know, on a a very personal level, I think that um, some of those things that have been very key for me from a personal growth point of view is learning to trust my my, my instinct, uh, learning to trust my gut. Mm-hmm. um because and I think that's you know probably maturity um, in the age sense <laughs> the right the right. older I get I think I learn to trust my gut a little bit more than I would have done when I was when I was early in my career but the other thing that's important for me is 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 mentorship and continuous learning I try very hard to make time for my own development whether it is softer skills or whether it's kind of more technical HR skills. Um, and I try to learn from others. So I'm part of a, uh, an HR executive forum of other HR leaders. Um, and I find that an incredibly um, enriching experience where it's, it's a safe, it's a peer environment, um, and it's a great way just to have conversations that you really don't feel that you can have at work and to seek advice from others and to understand different perspectives. Um, and for me, it's also about not overcomplicating my learning. So while I'm continuously learning, what I try to do is um, lots of small but impactful things to increase my knowledge because I don't I don't have a ton of time to go away and to think about something for a week. So I find now certainly with the advent of technology, it's so much easier for me to find those small incremental things that I can kind of add to my thinking or my portfolio of skills. Because I can get them in a half hour webinar or a one hour webinar right. or a podcast about something.
1: Well, that's a great that's way awesome. to, certainly a great way to, to, to kind of place it because we don't, don't have time to go climb a mountain in Tibet and, you know, be enlightened for Absolutely. for three years. We have, you know, 10 minutes on a Friday at 9 o'clock to maybe yes. take one little thing <laughs> with us that maybe will make us a little bit better. And But over time, we get that kind of same result. So mm-hmm. we're, we're just about out of time here. I want to make sure we give you a chance. If anyone is interested in learning more about your company or getting a hold of you or coming to work, for you what's the best way for them to reach out and find out more
2: um sure um anyone is welcome to connect with me on linkedin um or email me directly it's djones at halogensoftware.com and uh, anyone is welcome to visit visit our website as well which is halogensoftware.com well
1: it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and hopefully we have you come back and we'll get to all the other things that we didn't have time to, to ask you but uh thank you so much for being on the show dominique
2: Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you very much.
1: All right. Up next is Brendan Keegan after this quick commercial break. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have any questions uh, for my next guest, you can send them to me via Twitter, at PeopleG2, and use that hashtag Talent Talk at the end of your question. So my next guest is uh, Brendan Keegan. Uh, He's a managing partner of Velocity Performance. Uh, Those of you turning in live are obviously going to hear him, but if you want to listen to the podcast as well, you can go to talenttalkradio.com or visit us on iTunes. So Brendan, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me today.
1: Well, so tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, of course, your your company, uh, Velocity Performance.
3: Okay. Uh, so I'm, uh, I've been in the business world for 20, uh, 24, 25 years now, uh, focused on the technology industry as well as consulting services. You know, I like to say I, I've had more fun over the last 20-plus years than should be legal. And in, uh, in kind of talking about my myself my career, I kind of look as though uh, I've had three careers. I spent the first 10 years of my career in a Fortune 100 company, uh, actually EDS, Electronic Data Systems, where I started as an engineer and kind of did your traditional progression through the organization and left as chief sales officer. Uh, Then the second part of my career, I spent 10 years uh, out in Silicon Valley uh, doing venture capital, uh, leading companies for venture capital firms, and uh, private equity. Uh, you know, I did uh, four president and CEO uh, stints doing turnarounds of, of companies that were underperforming. And then what I'm doing now, uh, which is Velocity Performance, just about four years ago I started uh, a new company focused on leadership consulting and training, and but the name of that company is Velocity Performance. Uh, our, our goals are very simple. We're focused on uh, driving greater leadership and growth for our clients, uh, we work with some of the world's uh, largest brands, uh, some of the Fortune 10 and 20, right down to local entrepreneurs and startup companies. So we really don't look at size of company. We look at are they focused on developing leaders and
1: growing their business. So you've had a lot of success in your career, and you've kind of been a you know four-time president and CEO. So can you share a little bit about, you know, what you feel has made you a successful leader?
3: Uh, Thanks, Chris. Uh, you know, when, when I look at my own career, at why I was successful, I don't think it's different from what makes a lot of people successful, uh, and it, it's part of what we talk about very openly in our, our leadership academies that we run for companies, that we run for colleges, is you know, being successful in any profession, uh, what I've seen in my career for myself and others is it really starts with living with a personal vision and a set of core values. You know, if in life, if you know where you want to go, you're going to be more likely to get there. You know, think of it as getting in your car with your navigation system and not putting anything in. You probably wouldn't get there as quickly as if you put the destination in. So, for myself, I've always kind of led my life with a very clear vision and, and set of core values. Uh, in in becoming a leader in in a company, one thing that becomes very important is do you lead that company or that group or that division or team, whatever you're leading, uh, with a specific vision for that team and also a set of core values that your team follows? Uh, you know, for instance, you know, I, I've worked with in doing turnarounds, you know, and in, in of the companies, they really couldn't articulate what their vision was. They couldn't articulate what their values were. Now, you know, when I would first join a company and I would ask my senior leaders, what was the company vision. Uh, They would all tell me they had one, but then when I went out and I I visited uh, people in our call centers, supervisors in the field, and asked them what the company vision was, you know, I kind of got stared at like a deer in the headlights, and they didn't know what it was. So I think if you're able to establish a vision that employees can support and can rally around, uh, it's extremely beneficial. It it gives them reason for working hard. Also, when, when you have a common set of core values that the company makes decisions on every day. Uh, In doing turnarounds, you have to make some tough decisions. You have to make decisions on expenses and workforce reductions and outsource services. But when you make those based off a set of core values, people really understand and and appreciate it. So the first two things, I'd say, you know, kind of leading your own life with a vision and value set of values and then kind of leading your your company. Beyond that, it, it really comes down to, Uh, uh, the leadership style that you employ, the culture you create, and how you communicate that. Uh, You know, personally, I've always uh, believed in a very collaborative leadership style. Uh, Now, just to be clear, you know, collaborative leadership style is not the same as consensus. You know, to teams that, that I lead, I like to say everyone gets a say, but they don't get a vote. You know, it's not management by consensus or leadership by consensus. But then also building a culture that's, you know, inspirational for people and is also transparent. Uh, so, so employees aren't wondering what's going on. Uh, is, is what leadership saying is it true? Is, are, we, are we executing this strategy because we have to or what are we really doing it for? I've always believed that if, if, if you build a culture that's a place people want to work and they feel like they're in the know, they, they'll perform at a, at a higher level. Uh, and then kind of lastly clear communications letting people know what your expectations are, letting people know what their goals are so they can achieve those, uh, and then also having clear rewards and consequences. And, you know, when, when I say rewards and consequences, that's at the company level, uh, and that's also at the individual level. Um, what's going to happen when the company's successful or not successful? What's going to happen when an individual is successful or not successful? Uh, So, you know, the the things I went through, you know, vision and values and and leadership style and culture and communications, I'm not sure they're any different than anybody else who's had any level of success. I think it's just um, always
1: continuing to develop those specific skills and then staying consistent. Well, I think uh, things that you're talking about are fantastic and are are really in line with you know, what we're seeing is uh, successful companies do. The only thing I might disagree with you on is that uh, that is as prevalent or as well-known. Uh, you, you know, you kind of talked about maybe it being more uh, kind of common knowledge, and what we find is that it it isn't. It is for those companies that are successful, but so many companies are struggling to be their most successful, and, um, you know, they're not doing all those things or they're not doing any of those things. Sometimes they are just get, gotten lucky to have a good product or a good service, but they're not really meeting their full potential, uh, you know, by not doing some of those things. So, uh, well, you know, well, Chris, you, you bring up a good point in that, you know, a lot of these
3: items, everybody started off. Maybe maybe uh knowing they should do them you know it's probably no different than you know if you want to lead a healthy lifestyle, we all know you know hey, exercise, um, you know eat nutritional foods, get plenty of sleep, but that may not be what we actually all do in mm-hmm. in these you know this little simple uh, you know prescription for kind of you know success, you know it's something where oftentimes the company will establish a vision, but then they'll stray from it, and then they won't revisit it for one, two, three, four, five years. And, and so next thing you know, you've had, you know, 10 15% employee uh, turnover a year. And five years later, you wake up, and, and oftentimes maybe some of the leadership team thinks that there's a vision in place. But again, when you go out to the rank and file, you know, they're not familiar with it. So, you know, it, it's probably no different than, you know, good health. You know, it's a, it's a daily activity, not a once-a-year activity.
1: Right. That's a constant activity. and. Yeah, it's uh, we we know about those things, like you said, but we don't always do them, which is certainly uh, <laughs> frustrating when you're trying to be your best, for sure. So, uh, you know, I'm sure that you've, you you're talking about all these great things you've done, uh, but I'm sure you've also made some some errors along the way. Are there have there been the kind of the occasional speed bump that has caused you to take a step back and evaluate maybe your own leadership style, or the direction that you're going? Uh,
3: yeah. Uh, you know, first of all, I'd say, you know, you never stop making mistakes and errors. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to have a couple this week, uh, and in some ways, I hope I have a couple this week. Uh, a, a number of years ago, my family and I actually started a foundation that we, we put uh, 2% of our revenue in, and the name of the foundation is the Courage and Faith Foundation. And it's really based on a quote that has been a big part of my career. You know, in any company I'm at, you know, it's uh, it's plastered on the wall. You know, if you came and visited us up here in the great state of New Hampshire, you'd see it right when you came in the office. And it's it's have the, uh, have the courage to fail and the faith to succeed. And kind of what, what, what I believe in personally, what I try to breed in, in people that, that work with me and, and that I work around is, you know, failing is part of your job. So, you know, to any listeners that have, you know, failed today or yesterday or last week or last month, the first thing... I'd say is congratulations. Uh, you know, if you failed, it meant you were trying. Uh, you know, in effective effective leaders fail all the time. You know, if you're trying to come up with ways to uh, better ways to do your job, better ways to lead your team, better to strategies um, <coughs> excuse me better strategies for your company to uh, embark on, uh, you have to be willing to make mistakes. You know, one thing I, I, I tell when I, I go out and do some seminars is. You know, show me somebody who who doesn't fail at all somebody that doesn't make mistakes and and, and I'll show you somebody that's not maximizing their potential you know if you're if you're not making mistakes and you're not making errors then what's probably the case is you're probably not pushing enough you're not trying enough um, you know a, effective leaders are always trying to find how do I get better now you know don't don't get me wrong and, and think that uh, I'm saying, you know, hey, go out and make a bunch of mistakes. And, you know, they're calculated mistakes, uh, and don't make the same mistakes, you know, over and over. But if if you're in business, whether you own a you know a small uh, delicatessen or you are CEO of a Fortune 10 company, you know, part of your job is to get the most out of your, the individuals that you lead, uh, to get the mo- to get something greater out of the team, and in doing that. Uh, you've got to push people beyond their comfort zone. You've got to push yourself beyond your comfort zone. You've got to continue to be making mistakes. Um, one thing that I've noticed, though, is, you know, when effective leaders do make mistakes, they, they kind of sit back and they diagnose what was the root cause of the mistake. Uh, was the root cause that uh, we made that mistake too quickly, we made a decision too quickly, we didn't have a, enough information, uh, it, it was just a bad decision, But really good leaders, as soon as they realize they've made a mistake, they pick themselves right up and they take a corrective action. Uh, The corrective action could be, you know, if they were running a pilot that wasn't successful, stopping the pilot. Uh, If they were trying new pricing uh, and the pricing wasn't working, they wouldn't, you know, continue to make the mistake. They would take corrective action and change the pricing. Uh, They would then, you know, put measures in place so that they don't make that uh, mistake again. Uh, And one of the keys for leaders that want to create a culture where making mistakes is okay on, on your path to uh, maximizing your potential, is communicating that mistake to their peers, letting them know uh, in your next team, team meeting, you know, hey, everybody, that project that we kicked off uh, three weeks ago, we, we ran the pilot, we checked, we, we ran the pilot pricing, and it failed. You know, we really thought people were going to react positively. They didn't. Here's what we've done. Because what you're really telling the organization is I failed, and it's okay for you to. Uh you know, creating a culture where mistakes aren't frowned upon, but calculated mistakes are encouraged. And, uh, you know, Chris, uh, from just kind of getting to know you, I'm sure that, you know, as as you have built your business and you have tried new uh, media channels and you have reached out, you know, part of that is continually trying to find what's the right mix. And, and I'm sure there's been some times when you've done some stuff and said, geez, you know, that didn't work out as, uh, exactly as you had thought or planned or had hoped.
1: Yeah, I think mistakes is one of the big areas where, leadership has to take the forefront in showing everyone it's okay to talk about those mistakes, to own them, to you know, dissect them, to you know, to make that kind of culture of it's okay to make mistakes, let's talk about it, let's figure it out. Uh, many times I think there's a lot of things that need to come peer to peer or from bottom up, but When you're talking about mistakes and having that environment, it's got to be top-down. You know, the leaders have to be raising their hand and saying, I screwed up, or maybe it's not screw up, but hey, we tried something and it didn't work, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to stop it. We're going to fix it. We're going to alter it. We're going to, you know, whatever you're going to do, or else everyone else in the organization runs from every tiny little thing that they should be talking about instead. Uh, you know, hiding from the the simplest mistakes that really they shouldn't be doing. Uh, and I don't think people realize what an incredible impact that has on the organization uh, in either scenario, both from a negative standpoint and also from a positive standpoint uh, of people talking about you know their mistakes.
3: Yeah it's you know, er, you know kind of when we when we kicked this off, I talked a little bit about you know vision and values. Uh, you know, I, I remember when I was younger, you know, I've always kind of lived by some values. And one of my values at one point in time was pride. And over time, and as I developed more as a leader, I actually struck pride and I entered humility. And, and what I realized as, as I went from an individual contributor to a leader is it was less about pride and, and being humble with your team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, being humble when you have successes, because uh, as we all know, r- right around the corner from every success – is, is typically some slump or hurdle or speed bump, as you talked about. And also, you know, being humble in your mistakes uh, and being able to admit mistakes. Um, you know, I'm sure most people that are listening, you know, we, we, we all have somebody in our life, whether it's our professional life or our social life, where uh, we maybe have a friend or a colleague that's not that good at admitting mistakes. And, you know, and that's, a, that's oftentimes a tough person to work with, a tough person to, to, to have, because uh, we all make them. It's just a matter of, you know, kind of admitting, taking that corrective action, moving on. And as a leader, again, I, I think it's really important that you create, you know, an environment and a culture. Um, I wouldn't say that rewards mistakes, but I would say accepts them as, as part of doing business because you, you won't achieve greatness uh, for your business, for yourself, for your career, for your leadership
1: uh, role if if you're always taking the absolute safest way out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, what are maybe is there someone in your life or something that really had an impact on your own leadership development that kind of caused you to go down this road that you're on now? Um, well, you know what I'd say
3: is there there been a lot of things. Um, you know, for you know one of the, the uh, uh, things that was probably you know great early in my career. Uh, early in my career, I just happened into uh, getting a mentor. You know, I, I I was in a company that had a formal mentor program, and so you know I got assigned somebody, and and I, I I wish I could say it was my own great thinking, but you know at 22 I'm not sure I had some of that that great thinking, and and you know that meant that uh, that person that mentored me really helped me at some crossroads in in my career, and throughout my career I've gone on and continued to have mentors. And, you know, when I first started my career with with EDS, uh, I started as an engineer. You know, I had gone to undergrad uh, uh, in management of technology. I came out. I actually started as a a programmer doing code for the Pentagon down in Washington, D.C. And, you know, my mentor mentioned to me that he thought that I was better with people than I was at writing code. Now, after I reflected for the first five minutes and said, is he telling me I'm not, good, I'm not a good right. programmer, uh, I realized that, you know, he was right, that I, that I was just good at sitting down and talking to people, and, and he, you know, that led to me getting moved into an account role where I worked with clients more and got from writing code. And after doing that for a while, they actually kind of said, you know, you're, you're actually really good with clients. Um, why don't we move you over into sales? And at the time, I was 24, and at the time, I didn't realize that sales was its own profession. Um, you know, I didn't, you know, know that there were people that were lifelong salespeople. And and but again, I never would have taken those steps had it not been for a mentor that was really coaching me, advising me, and telling me about those opportunities. And then there's, you know, and, and by the way, the, those uh, the mentors that I that I had when I was. Uh, 24, and then I, I got another one when I was 28, and I've had four of them, you know, I'm, I, I still to this day uh, talk to them and check in with them and ask their opinions and get their advice. Um, sometimes I maybe debate them more now than I used to, uh, but, uh, you know, if, if, if you, when, when you want to get somewhere, um, one of the quickest ways is to find somebody who's been where you want to go and have them help lead you there. And so for me, I was just fortunate that uh, I got paired up with somebody initially. Uh, what I'd say is if, if anyone who's listening uh, doesn't have a mentor, I'd encourage you to find one. Um, and, you know, the easiest way to find a mentor is look around at, at for somebody that you admire, that uh, has had some successes that you would like to emulate. And the key is that's willing to invest in you. Uh, where, where I know. I went time in picking a a mentor and I quickly fixed it and I know where other people have gone wrong is when you pick somebody because they are they do they have had the career that you want to emulate however they don't have time for you and it's not that they uh, don't want to mentor you or they don't have an interest in you they just genuinely don't have the time and and in the end I think you you won't get as much out of out of it as somebody who who does have the time so you know, in, in kind of, you know, traversing your career, having a, a couple of mentors out there, people that are in your corner and that are helping you is incredibly, uh, incredibly important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And uh, that's probably the number one piece of advice I'd love to give people uh, that are maybe starting their careers or just coming into a new industry is hurry up and go find a mentor. And if you've got to ask somebody, even if you admire them from afar and you don't really know them, can't hurt to ask. worst thing they can do is tell you no uh, if they don't have time for you or, or, or don't want to do it. But, yeah, that, that really ramps up the, the learning curve um, and helps you kind of test out some of those things that maybe you wouldn't normally do with, with anybody else in a, in a safer environment. So,
3: Well, well, well Chris, uh, you know, something that's starting to happen now, I, I know it it, uh, it happened with one of my mentors, but it's happening much more now. Is you're seeing mentors and mentees go into a reverse mentoring process, uh, Role as well, um, you know. I, I know some executives that mentor, and they have joked that they now go to their mentees for advice on social media, where you know maybe someone's had a tremendous amount of success. Uh, they're they're you know pick any age you want. They're 55. They're not as in touch with social media. And they're mentoring somebody who's 25, 26, that's very familiar with it. Right. So, you know, even as a mentor, you know, what I've found and one of the things that that I preach is if you've been mentored, you have a responsibility to pass that that on and mentor people. And one thing I tell people is, you know, I'm yet to mentor anybody that hasn't made me a better leader. Um, just by, you know, listening to them, being patient with them, helping them. You know, oftentimes it's helped me answer questions because uh, they'll ask you great questions and they'll ask you insightful questions that really, you know, make you answer some tough questions for yourself. Uh, but but this reverse mentoring trend that I'm starting to see in some of our client base, I, I think is just fascinating to
1: watch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen, definitely seen that as well. But, um, you know, we're here just at the end. and want to make sure that uh, we uh, – Give you a chance if you how can people learn more uh, about your company now if they're interested in, in finding out more?
3: Yeah, uh, the, the best way to get a hold of me is just uh, through email or, or phone. So uh, my email is Brendan, B R E N D A N, at velocityperformance.com. Uh, I'll also give you uh, my office number, it's 603 402. 1701. So just uh, phone, email, anything. I'll, I'm, I'm, I try to be pretty responsive and get right back to you and would love to hear from, from some of you.
1: Yeah, so reach out to Brendan or visit uh, com, and you can uh, learn more about his company. Uh, Brendan, thank you so much for being on the show today. We've learned a lot and uh, all the things you, you kind of brought up are our common themes that have come up in the show before, but it, it, I really like the way that you articulated it, and uh, I, I know our listeners will probably really appreciate it as well. So thank you so much for being a part of the show. All right, Chris. Thanks for your great work as well. All right. Tune in live next week, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. My guests will be uh, Margie Rodinho, VP of Global HR at Sloan uh, Global Holdings, and Marianne... Uh, palacios uh, evp of uh, human potential for uh, daqri which i'm going to assume is Dackery, but i could be wrong so uh, until then do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today
0: you've been listening to town talk radio show brought to you by people g2